Welcome to the Soft Life with Sadie Baddies. Sadie Baddies is the antidote to mental health stigma, and this podcast is hosted by yours truly, Priscilla O. Adjman. We are a virtual sanctuary centering Black and multiracial people, and we prioritize the mental and emotional nourishment that is the foundation of collective healing in our communities. Thank you for being here. Welcome back, baddies. Thank you to everyone who tuned in to last week's episode about friendship breakups and making new friends as an adult. Clearly, it resonated with so many of you, so if you didn't get a chance to tune in yet, feel free to download it and listen to it when you have a chance. And as always, we can't grow this podcast without you, so if you've already provided us with a review or a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, thank you so much. This may seem like a small effort, but it really does support and grow our community so keep downloading and sharing baddies in today's episode in three parts we're diving deep on the topic of toxic workplaces practicing self-care and taking up space at work we know how much work culture has shifted and changed within the last couple of years and with that also comes a shift in the way that we choose to behave and show up at work in the united states in particular we overemphasize productivity as we know And we tend to overlook the importance of self-care and autonomy at work. Today's episode is that loving reminder that you are more than your job title and no job is worth sacrificing your mental health. I'll also share my own experiences with toxic workplaces, actions I took to remove myself, and even how I went about asking for my first raise at my nine to five. Even if you're an entrepreneur or a full-time creator, there's still elements from a traditional work environment that you might encounter down the road, so type in. So part one is all about identifying toxic jobs, work culture, and environments. So you might wonder if you just have the Sunday scaries, which is that natural nervousness and apprehension that you have before the beginning of a new week. It might be Sunday night, you might have had a great weekend, but all of a sudden it's five o'clock on Sunday and you're worrying about your to-do list for work tomorrow, the meetings you have, the projects you have, all of the tasks and responsibilities, and it completely takes you out of the present moment. That's normal for all of us. It happens to all of us. However, there's a difference between just having the Sunday scaries or the Monday blues where you don't feel like getting out of bed. So we're going to dive deep into identifying actual toxic jobs and toxic work culture and when to know to ask ask for help. Unfortunately, a lot of us have experienced working at an unpleasant job with aggressive bosses or hostile coworkers. Actually, over 51% of Americans feel unsatisfied with their jobs and 58% of Americans are experiencing overall burnout, which as we know, the pandemic has contributed to this statistic a lot. But how can having a job you hate also have an impact on your mental health? Research from the Human Relations Journal found that those who stayed at companies because they felt obligated or couldn't find other job opportunities were more likely to experience exhaustion, stress, and burnout. In addition, sometimes this feeling of indebtedness and a loss of autonomy are emotionally draining over time, which makes it even harder to leave and muster up the strength to find a new place. So all of these factors lead directly to mental health symptoms such as anxiety and depression. So what are some ways that your job can affect your mental health? So there's several ways, but here are five key points of how your job or what areas your job could be affecting your mental health. Number one is having abusive, passive-aggressive, or manipulative 
supervisors. So if you are in a workplace where your supervisor, your manager, your boss is not transparent with you, is manipulative or passive aggressive, it's going to be very difficult to grow in that work environment. Number two, dealing with microaggressions as a black person or a person of color in a corporate environment. So recently on my Instagram story, on my personal Instagram story, I shared um, a tweet and a lot of people were responding to the tweet. It essentially talked about how a lot of times black people and and people of color tend to leave jobs um, quicker because they face so much challenges. They face a lot of challenges at work that are not just about the financial challenges or wanting more money. It's the actual um, emotional and mental labor that is that comes with just being a person of color at work. And I got a flood of DMs of people sharing their really awful stories. Some people had some very disturbing stories about the way they were treated in their workplace. Definitely, definitely abusive and toxic work environments, which just goes to show that it's not a singular experience. If you feel embarrassed or ashamed that you have been mistreated at work, just know that it's not your fault. And a lot of people actually experience this. Um, in addition to that, some another area that would obviously affect your mental health is being underpaid. And obviously we know that there is a wage gap when it comes to women and also especially women of color. And there is statistics that show how we are underpaid to our male counterparts. In addition to that, just knowing that you're in a if you're in a work environment and you're doing the same job, you have the same job title and similar ex- experiences and backgrounds as your colleagues, just knowing that you're getting underpaid, I don't know how anyone would feel empowered going to work knowing that they're getting less than the people that are sitting next to them. That's kind of crazy. So Obviously being underpaid and knowing that you're underpaid and you can find out what the average um, salary is for your job market by, you know, checking websites such as Glassdoor or just Googling what your average job market is in your specific job title or your field or your industry. Um, An additional area that can affect your mental health at work is not having a safe space to be yourself as a minority. So if you're working with people in your workplace that are exhibiting homophobic, sexist, racist, or ableist um, language or actions, obviously that's going to affect your mental health. It's going to make you feel very uncomfortable and it may even make you shrink yourself. And then last but not least, dealing with sexual harassment from coworkers or even supervisors. This is something that a lot of times goes unsaid because it jeopardizes your income and sometimes Unfortunately, if you're in a work environment that weaponizes you being honest about your experiences with sexual harassment, instead of feeling like, okay, this job is advocating for my needs and I can speak up and I can report this, a lot of people feel like they can't say anything about it, which is so painful. So these are just some of the areas where people struggle the most when it comes to dealing with their mental health in the workplace. So now let's identify and list out the signs of a toxic workplace or a toxic job. Also, there are so many different articles and lists and blogs that talk about this. This is honestly a summary of of what is out there and what's available. So definitely do a, a, a deeper dive. However, these are eight telltale signs of a toxic um, workplace. So number one, 
just feeling a general lack of enthusiasm and feeling burnout across the board. So this could be you just feeling a lack of enthusiasm. This could be your colleagues feeling a lack of enthusiasm, your manager, your director. If there's a general feeling of ugh all across the board, that is some, that's probably a sign that there's something wrong with the workplace that you're in. Especially if it's not just a one-time thing or once in a while. This is a consistent feeling of of exhaustion and, and not having enthusiasm. That is probably a sign that there are some issues. Number two. So mentioned this before, but specifically non-inclusive and exclusionary workplaces. So if you're in a workplace that has no diversity, equity, and inclusion, Um, initiatives or it doesn't have any cultural competency training nobody's being trained to connect and relate to other colleagues that are from different backgrounds or if your if your workplace is just not diverse at all obviously these are these are kind of signs of it's a reflection of the company right so if there's no safe space groups for employees who are diverse a lot of times employees will end up feeling extremely isolated and alone and this can just increase feelings of unhappiness and dissatisfaction at work Um, but especially if there's no effort from leadership to create these spaces that is probably a sign that they don't feel like it's important if they wanted to prioritize diversity equity inclusion um, they would so that's number two number three is sometimes hard to tell because a lot of times at work, our assignments, our projects are timeline based. However, if there's this constant feeling of urgency and really, really tight deadlines, you know, for example, if you have a project handed to you and your your estimated um, deadline is the, the same day or the next day, that is probably a sign that you're not given enough time or space to actually complete a project and, and do it properly and have it at your own pace in a way that you can also prioritize your well-being. So if all of your projects have a really, really super tight deadline and there is no additional support to meet those deadlines, that is a problem because naturally you're going to burn out. You can't always run on empty. Number four, so employees feeling left out of communication and in the dark. So if you're if you or your colleagues feel like decisions are made without any type of input whatsoever, or if there's these really big drastic changes to your company or your organization and you have no idea and you're literally the last person to know or even your manager's last person to know that could also be a sign that there's not a lot of transparency from leadership um you know top down trickling down to everyone and people should be aware of the changes and decisions that are made in their company especially if it affects them directly and if there's just no effort to make communication clear and concise whether it's you know sharing an email with company-wide employees or having a, a, a conversation with your manager or director about some changes that are happening, if there's just no communication at all, that's obviously a sign that that's not a priority as well. Number five is your growth or learning is stifled. So everybody's industry and work and career background varies. However, if you work a typical nine to five in an office, or obviously if you work remotely, 
If there is no initiative to continue your professional development outside of what you do on a daily basis, if there's no one-on-one scheduled with your manager, if there's not a clear promotion cycle, if there's no additional learning tools that your company or organization can provide for you to help you to accelerate and continue your professional career and trajectory, that is a big red flag because if they are only requiring for you to just do your simple tasks day in and day out with no future long-term plan of okay what do I do a year from now what do I do three years from now if you even stay that long if there is no plan in place or your manager or supervisor is not communicating with you about those plans that is a big red flag because that could also predict um, or that can that can inform you of the longevity of not just your time at this company, but the company itself. If, if they don't have any plans of, of helping people to continue growing, where is the company going to be in five years or 10 years? So that's something to consider as well. Um, number six, obviously, high employee turnover. <laughs> if there's people that, if it feels like a swivel door and people are coming and leaving, coming and leaving, I don't know what to tell you. That's, that's like your... That's like probably one of the biggest red flags of a company. I know startups can be this way, you know, for a lot of reasons. However, if there's a really high turnover rate with your company or, you know, say you started and you were asked to start immediately because people left, that's obviously a clear sign that there's some issues in the foundation of the company. Number seven, okay, number seven is is gossiping, backstabbing, and exclusion. Believe it or not, I mean, we we've all we've all experienced, you know, probably a little bit of work workplace drama, at least a little bit, some more than others. But if there is a constant feeling of gossip or backstabbing in your workplace and people are just bad mouthing each other, your manager's bad mouthing your director, your colleagues are bad mouthing each other, everybody's gossiping, it's messy. It's time to go. It's time to go because now you you can't even get relief from going to work and just doing what you need to do. Now you're caught up in everyone's personal lives. You know, people are are talking behind each other's backs. That is really an unhealthy work environment to be in. So, you know, we all so a lot of us do bring parts of our personal lives to work. You know, maybe people know you outside of work or you hang out with your colleagues. That's fine and you know, that's that's okay, but if there is a general sense of of dissatisfaction and there's no teamwork or camaraderie on your team in your company, that's a huge problem. And last but not least, just overall dysfunction and disorganization. If your company does not have any clear goals, if they don't have quarterly goals that are clearly outlined and are implemented into your day-to-day tasks with your manager, that is also a huge problem. If there's just no mobility in the progress of the company, if there's no clarification of, okay, what what is the business model? What is, who is our, who are our customers, et cetera. If it just feels like a huge mess, a hot mess, it probably is. So these are just some signs of a toxic workplace like i said you can definitely do more research on your own and and check out what are some other signs because obviously it varies from industry to industry you know if you work in healthcare versus if you work in education or finance or whatever your field is it's going to vary because there's certain cultures that are normalized depending on the industry okay 
And last but not least, I want to talk about, you know, some of my toxic work experiences. I mentioned some of this in the first episode that we had of converting your fear into your purpose. Um, Again, if you didn't check out that episode, please do. That was our pilot episode. And long story short, I my first job, my first nine to five that I ever had, you know, when I graduated from grad school, I worked at a nonprofit and this nonprofit, um, I worked, you know, there for actually less than a year. I ended up leaving a little bit less than a year because I got a, a different role, got a, a new position at a different um, company. Um, however, this role in particular was my first experience working at a toxic job and having a toxic work environment. Literally all of the the toxic job signs that I just named, I experienced every single one of them (laughs) and more. But I would say the biggest red flag that I had working at this toxic job was that I was extremely unsupported. I mean, I was given this huge project and I had zero support from my director who also gave very, very tight deadlines um, with no plan in place. It was kind of like, this is what you need to do. Figure it out and figure it out by next week. So there was a lot of pressure on me. Mind you, I was only, what, 25 years old? You know, just literally finished graduating from my master's program. Had very little work experience outside of academia. Because, I, you know, prior to that, I was a graduate researcher. You know, so I um, published a manuscript um, for my public health degree. I also, you know, had other research opportunities, internships. I worked at a hospital, as I mentioned. So I had a lot of different, like, you know, I did have part-time work experience, but this was my full for my very first full-time role. And I think the lack of support and guidance that I had from my director at the time was really stressful because I needed a plan. This was probably where I needed the most support. You know, in retrospect, now I would say like I can do more with a little bit less direction. I probably don't need as much direction as I did at the time but you know her being aware of where I was at career-wise and professionally but still offering such little support was really disappointing um on top of that there was a lot of instability within the organization a lot of turnover there was also there was a lot of um nepotism so there was people who had been working there prior you know years before that kind of came back and influenced a lot of the decision making and you know within the organization, which just made it really, it made it this really uncomfortable um, playing field because you had people who technically didn't work there anymore that were coming back and like making decisions. So it just provided, it was a very confusing, um, it was very confusing as to who was actually in charge and, and what opinions and priorities were important. So, you know, I had a really, um, I really, I had a hard time being there for, you know, like I mentioned, I was there for less than a year. However, um, you know, during my time there, I really struggled a lot. I remember just going into the bathroom during my lunch breaks and just crying or like calling my mom and being like, I can't do this anymore, you know? So I really, really struggled and I created an exit plan because I knew that I had to leave that job, not only because I mentioned before, I was being underpaid and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, didn't provide me with the best benefits either. Um, I just knew that that environment was really unhealthy for me and I wanted to do something that was more aligned with my overall long, long-term career goals. So 
I did end up leaving. But when I did leave, you know, when I did resign, I remember my director being so angry with me and, you know, um, not not being supportive of my transition out of that that job. Um, and it was just a very it was a very hard transition to make, um, which I wasn't expecting, but I'm just glad that I, I chose to leave and instead of just waiting for it to get better. I knew it wasn't going to get better. So I did what was best for me. So let's dive into part two, which is creating your daily self-care routine at work. I think this is a really important part of it doesn't really matter if you have a job that you find toxic or a job that you find satisfying or even if you work for yourself. This this is really applicable to anybody because self-care and starting your day off with intention is a really, really great way to ground yourself. So first, I highly suggest setting up a morning routine. So I'll give you a before and after. Before I had a morning routine, what I would do was wake up, wake up in the morning, shower, pick out my outfit, maybe have breakfast depending on the day if I was, you know, felt like it or not, you know, and then basically just go to work. So did I have more time to sleep in? Yes. However, was I literally waking up just to go to work versus now what I do is I have a morning routine. So I wake up not just, okay, I have to go to work or I have to be at work or I need to start my day at work. My my day becomes less centered around work and more centered around self-care. So what I do now is I wake up, I you know set my intentions for the day. I usually will light some incense just to clear out the energy and start start my day off fresh, open up my blinds, say a prayer of gratitude, and then I hop on either the Peloton or I'll do another at-home workout because I am working from home. Um, and then I'll just ease into my day. I might, you know, um, make some coffee or some matcha, take my vitamins, drink some water, and um, take my time getting ready. So taking a nice shower, just taking my time, easing into my day. And I think that this routine has really, really helped ground me because I know that whatever the day has in store, I've taken care of myself first. And I think that is such a gift because the only people that can take care of us truly when it comes to these types of routines is ourselves. We can't have somebody else develop these routines for us and have it impact us the way that we want it to. So having that mindset that no that I have a job of course I'm gonna work or do whatever I need to do but first I'm going to take care of myself I'm going to ease into the day and this doesn't always have to be something that takes an hour or two hours there are days that I don't have a full you know hour and a half before I start my day there are days where I only have 45 minutes however I adjust so instead of doing maybe a 20 30 minute workout I'll do a 10 or 15 minute workout and instead of, you know, if I don't have time to make a coffee or a matcha, then I'll grab it on the way if I'm stepping out. It doesn't matter. It's all about being adaptable to what your your day, what, what happens for you during your day, essentially. Now, let's talk about workplace boundaries. 
So if you're familiar with Saudi baddies or if you're not new here, you know that we've said this time and time again, that boundaries are your emotional seatbelt. Boundaries can show others with or without telling them directly how you expect to be treated. So in the workplace, especially in the United States, we often have a very blurry, we have these very blurry lines with our employees of what we can or can't do or what we can and can't share comfortably. So whether you're brand new at your job or you're damn near running the place and you've been there for years, here are some ways that setting boundaries in the workplace can really help you out. So obviously this can vary. As I mentioned, this episode is really, it's it's adaptable and applicable to anybody, but if you are working at the type of company or organization, um, whether it's remote, whether it's in office, hybrid, or it doesn't matter, but these are just general boundaries that can be applied to anywhere you work. So number one is workload boundaries. So this is specifically means what does productivity actually look like for you at your job? Number two, emotional boundaries. So this is how you balance work with other aspects of your life. And number three are social boundaries. So this is how you interact with your colleagues, your managers, your supervisors, etc. So first, let's dive deep into the work workload um, boundaries. So I think one of the most important aspects of creating a workload boundary is sticking to your designated hours of working. In the United States, a lot of us work a nine to five, meaning we start our day at 9 a.m. and we wrap up typically around 5 p.m. If you're in an industry that, um, you know, maybe you have more clients or it's a little bit more even creative, you may not have that strict parameter of 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., so adjust as you will. However, if you are working like, you know, a typical office job or something like that, where your time, like you clock in or you start your day at 9 a.m. and you end at 5 p.m., stick to those hours. So not overextending yourself just to prove that you're available or offering to stay over time unprovoked. Those are some very simple ways to create workload boundaries because the minute you start overextending yourself unprovoked, a lot of times what will happen is it becomes a habit and it becomes a pattern. And unless your job offers you overtime where you're actually being clocked in for that labor, you are exploiting yourself essentially because why why would you offer to go above and beyond and and, and extend your hours you know, past like eight, nine o'clock PM and you're not being paid for those hours. Unless your time is free and you're working for free and that's something that you want to do, think about what your expectations are. Also think about the contracts that you sign when you onboard at a new job. If your hours are from nine to five and your supervisors and managers are aware of that, stick to those hours in that time frame. Whatever can't be completed by the end of the day, can be carried on into the next day if needed. But sacrificing your entire day because you just want to volunteer to is is going to contribute to burnout at the end of the day. So another workload boundary is utilizing all of your PTO. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with that term, PTO is your paid time off. If it's in your company's policy and Most companies have a policy, whether it's um, PTO or using your sick days or vacation days. Almost every company has some type of time off policy. 
And if you're at a job that doesn't offer you unlimited PTO, meaning unlimited paid time off, where you can kind of just request it and then your manager will approve it and you, you're good to go. You don't really need to explain anything any further or go through an approval process. If you have unlimited PTO, I mean, I hope that you're using it and I hope that you're taking time off as needed. And it, you don't always need this elaborate reason like I have a doctor's appointment or I have a vacation or I need to do this. You honestly don't even need to share that with your your manager. You can literally just put time on the, you know, have this conversation with your manager, let them know, hey, I'm going to be taking these days off. I'll add it to the calendar if that's what system you use and so be it. But use your PTO. Please use your paid time off. There's people who have 20 days worth of PTO by the end of the year because they just don't take it. They don't take their time off, which is crazy because it's in your company's policy. So making sure that you're using and taking advantage of your your time off that's in your policy is essential. And you and even like I said, if it's a mental health day, if it's a day to just breathe, to go outside, to go to the park, whatever it is you use it for, do it. But please don't let this year pass. Again, if you are somebody who tends to not use your PTO, please use it. And don't be embarrassed or ashamed to use it. It's literally yours. It's your time. And your the last workload boundary I want to mention is learning how to say, no, not at this time, or asking for an extension when you are already in, inundated with tasks. So if you're working on a really big project or you're working on something that takes a long time or you have a deadline or a timeline of some a project or an assignment you're working on if you get asked to do something else that is also going to be very time consuming you can say hey I would love to get back to this project when I when my bandwidth expands so meaning that you don't have to say yes immediately, especially if that task or project is voluntary. If it's not absolutely essential to what you're already doing, you can always circle back. You can always, you know, create more time down down the line when your schedule is more flexible. But you don't have to volunteer or say yes to every single request, especially if you know that it's going to make you overextend yourself. So there's nothing wrong with saying hey, I can't do this at this time. Or there's also nothing wrong with asking for an extension. I, I know that I've asked for extensions before here and there um, with my job. And also when I was in, in school, you know, if I needed an extension for a project or an assignment, nine times out of 10, my professor or whoever was very understanding about it. So applying those same self-compassionate actions, that's what I'll call them, are really helpful. Okay. So now let's talk about the second boundary, which is communication boundaries. So we all, you know, have to learn how to communicate at work and understanding, you know, what makes us comfortable at work. So I think one one aspect of communication boundaries that is increasingly more and more evident or an area where we're we're having to deal with more because we are in this you know, kind of hybrid, remote combination of, of workplaces is Zoom. <laughs> so sometimes you're getting on Zoom and you may just really not be able to show up, meaning like turn on your camera and look super attentive and, you know, 
if it helps for you to turn off your camera periodically or even for the duration of the call, depending on what your culture is like at your job, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with that. If you need to just turn off your camera for a little bit and just like take a few deep breaths or go to the bathroom or get some water, whatever it is you need to do. And, you know, instead use a profile photo in place of your face. There's nothing wrong with that. If you can't show up virtually and we all have those days where we're just so tired or exhausted or maybe even sad or just dealing with things that we don't feel like we can take we can hide on our face and if you're someone who's very expressive like myself it can be hard to pretend that everything's fine when it's not so on those days to you know take off your your camera and just take a moment for yourself there's nothing wrong with that Another communication boundary that's really important, especially for women in the workplace, is not allowing people to interrupt you when you're speaking. I know that sometimes this can feel really uncomfortable, but you know, if you're sharing thoughts in a meeting or you're presenting something and someone is interrupting you, it is totally fine to say, I'd love to finish this thought and I'll definitely want to hear from you once I'm done. There's nothing wrong with showing up for yourself and taking up space when you are communicating with other people at your job. And I think it also shows people to respect what you're saying and to listen. And if you're someone that, you know, has a hard time, you know, sharing how you're how you feel or if you're sharing an idea or thoughts, allowing yourself to have that room to really express how you feel and and have that time is important and you deserve that the last communication i want to share is choosing not to engage in conversations that make you uncomfortable now again this depends on your industry for sure but i know you know i know that when it comes to like healthcare or education or startup culture or tech there can be these conversations that happen whether it you know happens at work or whether it happens during a meeting or whether it happens on slack or even happens during happy hour whatever the conversation is if somebody's asking you a question or is talking about something that makes you very uncomfortable you don't have to respond to that remember your workplace is literally your job is the place that helps to sustain your lifestyle so just because you're working with people and colleagues that you know you guys might have things in common you might not you're not obligated to disclose anything that you don't feel like sharing so being okay with with that and not feeling obligated to share that is perfectly fine okay number three social boundaries so the number one social boundary I'm going to share first is choosing not to add your coworkers on social media that makes you uncomfortable if you start a new job and you know people are really curious about what your social life is like outside of work or want to add you on Instagram or Twitter or TikTok or whatever the social media you know handle is if you don't feel comfortable adding them on social media you don't have to you're not under any obligation to extend that part of your personal life into your work life just because somebody axes that for, from you if you don't feel comfortable doing that then don't I think personally, LinkedIn is good enough. I mean, that's the number one professional network. And a lot of us, you know, use it to grow our connection and our our professional network online. However, if somebody was like very, very eager to like, oh, what's your Instagram? And, you know, if that's not something you want to share, you don't have to. 
So protect your privacy, do what makes you feel comfortable, and keep it moving. (laughs) Um, Number two is not oversharing about your personal life. This includes who you're dating, your family life, choosing not to disclose what you do in your spare time just because your colleague is curious. This also kind of ties into the first point about social media. If you don't feel comfortable sharing or oversharing about your personal life, you don't have to. Again, your colleagues are people that you work with. You guys have a common goal because you work at the same company, obviously, but you don't have to share every detail about what you did over the weekend and who you're dating just because especially if that's something that they're comfortable with great but that doesn't mean that you have to do that so maintaining those boundaries and being okay with it will allow people to know hey this person doesn't feel comfortable when I ask them about you know who they're dating or what they did on the weekend or about their family that's perfectly fine it's up to your discretion and last but not least A social boundary that I think is extremely overlooked is having lunch away from your desk. Now, a lot of times if you're at work and you're really, really busy, some people will just eat at their desk to optimize their time so they don't have to step away. But you are legally allowed (laughs) at least 30 minutes to an hour of a lunch break. It doesn't matter where you work, you are allowed that time. So if you have a break room, If you have a car where you can sit outside and and have your lunch in your car, if you have a park nearby, if you're going to, it doesn't matter where you are, taking lunch away from your desk helps your brain to separate work from you actually, you know, being present with yourself and, and having that time to nourish yourself. It is perfectly okay to step away from your desk. You're not any less of an employee if you do choose to step away. And please don't let anybody make you feel guilty for taking that time to yourself. And like I said, that literally means walking away, going to a park, eating in your car, whatever it is, just step away from your desk, even if it's for that that like 30 minutes. And I also encourage you know to take a few breaks throughout the day if you can if you can take like a quick like five ten minute break when you need to do that because you are a human being you're not a machine so whatever you need to do to take care of yourself at work please do it and last but not least we're going to talk about showing up and taking up space at work so one thing I'm going to share are some affirmations that I like to, to remember when I am at work or I'm working. And these are just reminders to myself to always start my day with an intention and carry it with me throughout the day. So some affirmations I like to share when I'm at work is I am capable of completing and executing everything that I intend to today I think that simple affirmation can really help you to feel empowered it can help you to take on whatever responsibilities you have for the day also just remembering that you are a human being and you're not a human doing you you are more than just what you can contribute to your company or your organization if you have things or activities that you like to to do that you look forward to after work by all means embrace that and that will also help you to stay motivated throughout the day so even when you're done with your work day you have something to look forward to so creating an intention for the day and following through with that is really helpful at least for me 
Number two, when it comes to being in the workplace, I would say documenting your progress is extremely important. I have done this before and I still do this now, keeping a keeping somewhat of a brag sheet. So if you have a job that has a promotion cycle or has, you know, um, quarterly updates that, you know, allow you to kind of share what you've been working on or what your team has been working on, keep a separate document and literally it could be a Google Doc or in your notebook, it doesn't matter. Documenting your progress is very important. So this will also help you in the long run, but when you document and jot down what you've completed and what you contributed to, it helps you to not only realize how much of an impact you have, but also it gives you leverage. So this ties into my next point of asking for a raise or a promotion. So first, what you'll need to do in order to really organize yourself and prepare yourself for asking for a raise or a promotion is to list out your your progress and your contributions. So if you are a, a coordinator or you're a manager on your team, list out what you have done and what you've accomplished within a certain time frame. And doing this will help you to keep track, but also it creates it creates a lot of room for you to negotiate when it comes to asking for your promotion or, or a raise. So next, what you'd want to do is quantify your contribution. So if you have contributed to 30% of your of the revenue or if you've increased sales by X amount, quantifying it will help. That's data. So that's giving you Proof that's giving you something tangible to go off of, that is really, really helpful for um, preparing to ask for a promotion. And if you've just been a, performing at a very high level and you've you know brought in new clients, mention that and, and be specific. Don't just be general and say, oh, I've really helped this team thrive. How? How have you done that? Show on paper how you've contributed that. Because one thing that's really hard to argue is facts. And if you have facts written down on a piece of paper, when you are ready to negotiate and talk about a uh, a salary increase or promotion, when you have everything laid out like that, it's going to be harder to say no because the proof is right there. So quantifying your contribution is super important. And then making a plan with your manager. I think if you're not already having one-on-one meetings with your managers, just having time to speak with them and say, hey, I've been working here for about a year. You know, these are the things I like about working here. And these are the contributions I've made. So, you know, this is where that that brag sheet will come in handy and share with them, you know, I would love to X, Y, Z. So if that's, you know, transition into a new title or have a raise, whatever it is that you're asking for, say it with confidence and say it with your chest because you don't want to come off as super meek and super insecure about asking about it. It's not going to make you sound convincing. So I know a lot of times, especially as women, we're very uncomfortable asking or talking about money, but you're going to stay in the same place unless you highlight your own wins. If you're lucky enough to be in a role or a position where your your manager wants to just promote you anyway, most of us will have to vouch for ourselves and advocate for ourselves for what we want and what we need long-term for our company. So not being afraid to say, this is what I want and this is when I would like to see this happen. 
So setting a deadline for this for this plan, this promotion plan or this raise to happen and just remembering that you do have autonomy in this decision. So if this is something that your manager is totally open to, that's amazing and you know, hopefully that deadline is 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 set and there is a plan in place and a, and a strategy in place for that to happen. However, if your manager seems very reluctant to talk about this or kind of brushes you off or, or nothing happens, this might be a sign that this workplace is not seeing you in a long-term role. Maybe this means that for you, you did what you had to do for however long you were there. And if there's not a plan in place for you to grow or there's not a promotion in sight, honestly, that that's a sign. I think that's information. You could take it, take it for what it is. But if there, if you're at a job and there's absolutely no promotion cycle, or there's no talk or conversations about a promotion, then you have to ask yourself, why, why am I here? You know, am I here to just do the same thing every single day and not be recognized for it and not get paid more money for it, which is what I need to sustain my life and my lifestyle and to support myself and support my loved ones? Or are you going to advocate for yourself and say, okay, well, if I don't get a promotion here, then I'll get it somewhere else. And again, this is why a lot of a lot of people end up leaving their roles because if there isn't a promotion in place or there's not, you know, discussions of a raise, what you, you end up feeling stuck and you end up being stuck at this role. So feeling empowered enough to make that decision and to know when you need to have an exit plan is super important. So... Let's recap real quick. So first, identifying the signs of a toxic workplace can really help you come up with an exit plan. So all of the signs that I mentioned um, earlier in our episode, pay attention to those signs. If you are noticing these patterns, and especially if you have to get HR involved in any of these situations, you want to definitely document when and how these things occurred. So having a track record of these experiences will also help you to build leverage for when you are ready to have an exit plan strategy to leave this toxic work environment. Number two, practicing self-care and creating routines can really help to ground you and start your day off with feeling well cared for. And I think because a lot of us have a very challenging relationship with our jobs it can feel like by the time we come home we're so burnt out because we've not done one thing for ourselves however if you start off your day with a little bit more tenderness and a little bit more softness it's going to help you to feel more empowered and ready to start your day despite whatever happens throughout your day and last but not least showing up and taking up space is so important because shrinking yourself is not an option So remembering your affirmations before you go to work, documenting your progress and creating your own brag sheet and not being afraid to ask for a promotion or a raise. These are all ways that we can show up and take up space in our workplace and really have that autonomy that we all deserve and we all need in our careers. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you took away something from it. We do have a work-life balance guide on Instagram, which has a list of our 
work-related or career-related self-care and mental health tips and resources on our Instagram page. So check us out there. And also add us on LinkedIn. Um, you can find us at Saddy Baddies on LinkedIn. Um, we are sharing mental health and mental and emotional health tips for the whole month of May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. So we're sharing tips every week about work-life balance, workplace balance, and just advocating for yourself at work because as I mentioned before, the last few years have done a lot of damage to us mentally. A lot of us have left our jobs and found new jobs. A lot of us have completely left, you know, a corporate workspace altogether and are becoming our own entrepreneurs and business owners. There's so much of a cultural shift right now and I think it's really important to stay connected. So, you know, join Saudi Baddies on LinkedIn. We're always looking to grow our network and stay soft, Baddie. To stay connected, join Saudi Baddies on Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and more, and sign up for our monthly newsletter on SaudiBaddies.com to stay in the loop. Sending you hella love and stay soft, Baddie.